2: From KMOX Sports. Okay, boys, here we go. Welcome to the Bar
3: Sports Open Line. Those men swings and he hits a drive. He hits a slammer. Bar, your distributor for electrical and data needs. Here we All go. Right now, Matt Pauley on America's Sports Voice. KMOX. All right, man, let's get going here. Here we go, here we go, here we go. Let's go. Wait,
1: anyway, It is time for a Bar Sports Open Line. Almost, almost an entire program today. We'll wrap up about 20 minutes early. Get out of the way for uh, St. Louis Cardinals baseball. Cardinals-Diamondbacks opening up a three-game midweek series today. As always, if you'd like to join us, we're available for you. You can call or text 314-436-7900. 314-436-7900. That's how you call. That's how you text. You can tweet at me as well if you'd like. At Matt Pawley on air. I say tweet. Now Twitter has a new name, so you can whatever you do on whatever it's called now at Matt Pauly on air. I'm probably still going to call it Twitter. I'm still going to call them tweets until it is socially acceptable to start calling it something else. To me, it felt like this was the weekend where hope was lost for the Cardinals. How about that as a way to open up a program? Hope is gone. When, when they won last Thursday to open up the Cubs series, and to extend their winning streak to six games, it felt like there there was an off chance, an outside chance, a far-fetched chance that maybe this team had a run left in them. Maybe this team was going to find a way to climb up the standings, go on a crazy run in the final couple months, have a miraculous finish to the season, and that they were going to sneak into the playoffs. And while that is not mathematically impossible, I think this was a uh, a somewhat sobering weekend, the way things went down. They could have won on Friday, and they had, they had things go against them. And this is, in the grand scheme of a 162-game season, and I know we talked a lot on Friday's show. I'm not trying to redo Friday's show. I'm not trying to relitigate What happened on Friday with the 3-0 and 3-1 pitch to Alec Burleson, where where the game should have been tied and the Cardinals ended up losing. Like We we don't need to discuss the merits of that any longer. But I'll say this. in In a moment where it felt like if the Cardinals were going to find a way into the playoffs this year, if they were going to go on that run, it was going to be borderline miraculous. And if you go on a miraculous run and cardinals cardinals fans have seen from the cardinals we have seen our fair share of miraculous things happening in the last 10 20 years of cardinals baseball if you're going to have one of those kind of runs well then everything's got to go right you got to catch every break that you can possibly catch and when that 3-1 pitch is called for a strike on friday Maybe that was just kind of the baseball gods letting you know that yeah this this isn't the year. This isn't the time where something absolutely miraculous is going to happen. So again, I had I had slim, I had very 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 slim hopes for the Cardinals making that run that we're talking about and finding a way into the postseason whether it's climbing up the divisional ladder or climbing up the wild card ladder, whatever proverbial ladder you want to see them climb. I didn't think there was much of a chance of it happening, but I was leaving the door cracked. And I've pretty much closed that door now. This was just, it was a, and over 162 games, can you really make this all-encompassing statement about a couple losses, three losses? You probably shouldn't. But it could have looked a whole lot different. The Cardinals, if they would have won three out of four, they would have been just a half game behind the Cubs. If they would have found a way to sweep that four-game series, they would have jumped over the Cubs. And then only it would have only been the Reds and the Brewers that were in front of them. That was kind of the crossroads moment uh, that, that you were going to have here going into the trade deadline. And it just didn't happen. It just didn't happen for them. And now we'll see what does happen here moving forward. But if there was any question, you know, we spent a lot of time talking last week. Spent The 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 top narrative that we had on this show, and I wasn't alone. You listen to anybody that was talking Cardinal baseball. You go on social media. The number one topic of conversation last Wednesday and, and Thursday and Friday was if the Cardinals go on a little bit of a run here. Does John Mosaloc adjust his course at the last moment in front of the trade deadline and maybe not sell, maybe even buy, maybe approach things a little bit differently? And I felt like we were starting to inch towards the maybe point. We weren't inching towards yes, that will happen. We were starting to inch towards maybe, and the the momentum completely stopped We turned around, and everybody walked the other way, and now it is as clear as it's ever been that as we get closer and closer and closer to the trade deadline, which is a week from tomorrow, that the Cardinals are going to be sellers. And what this team is going to look like down the stretch of the season, that's going to be interesting to see, and it depends on how much they sell. Once they get done selling off, the next question is going to be, are they going to supplement on the major league roster with players who are basically at AAA and give some opportunities? Are they going to have to look outside the organization for some players, some, you know, major league players that that have some service time and, and bring them in to just kind of finish out the year? These are all narratives and conversations that we are going to be having over the next week or so as the Cardinals do move towards the trade deadline. But it was a it was a disappointing weekend. Let's not mince words on it at all. It was a very disappointing weekend where hope had started to creep into the minds of so many Cardinals fans to lose three or four to the Cubs was not the way you wanted to see things go. And as they go towards the trade deadline, there was a report over the weekend that Wilson Contreras is on the trading block. I'd like to hear from you, 314 436 7900. 314-436-7900. That's how you call. That's how you text. You can tweet at me, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. Do you want to see the Cardinals give up on Wilson Contreras, not even his first full season with the club? Would you like to see them trade? See, uh, see the club trade him? Or are you somebody that wants to see Contreras stick around for a while? We'll get into that coming up in just a moment. It's a Gray Bar Sports Open Line. My name is Matt Pauley. This is KMOX.
2: Hi, I'm Paul Goldschmidt. Hi, I'm Miles Michaelis. I'm Adam Wainwright, and you're listening
4: to
3: the voice of the Cardinals, KMOX. It's the Cards and Diamondbacks tonight. Emerald Total Access 745, first pitch 840.
2: KMOX is Cardinals Radio.
3: A long pause in the pitch. There's a ball driven, left field. That's going to get down and bounce off the Ivy. Goldschmidt scores on the double by Wilson Contreras.
1: A Great Bar Sports Open Line continues here on KMOX. Bob Nightingale of USA Today reported over the weekend that Wilson Contreras is on the trading block. Now, what does that really mean? Are the Cardinals actively looking to trade him? Uh, Are they listening to offers for him? Is it somewhere in between? Is it completely false And that He's going to be with the team for the rest of the year. Don't forget, he does have full, no-trade protection. So if he wants to be here, he can force the hand and he can stay here. I'm a little confused by all of this, to be perfectly honest with you. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Contreras has been a really good defensive catcher. I'm not going to tell you that he's been a great pitch caller. I'm not going to tell you any of those things because they're not true. But what I am going to tell you is the guy that the Cardinals gave a five-year contract to the largest contract for a player outside the organization that they'd ever handed out. The guy that they signed is exactly the guy who has been playing all year long for this team. He's, his numbers are are right along the same lines of what his numbers have been in recent years. Last year, he finished 22 home runs. He's got 11 right now, so he's on pace for a little bit less than 22 Last year, two forty three. Right now, he's hitting two forty four. Uh, he has more doubles. Last year, he had twenty three doubles. He already has twenty two this year. His OPS is seven sixty seven. Last year it was eight fifteen. But before that, right. seven seventy eight and seven sixty three. So he's basically the guy that he's always been over his career. There's really no difference, and that's that's what confuses me in this whole thing because. This is who they signed, and now all of a sudden it feels like he's not a fit, and I would have liked to have seen them maybe know that ahead of time as opposed to, or maybe they just thought they were going to be able to easily fix those issues that existed, that they thought the Cubs didn't do a really good job in, in going that way. I still think I, I, don't, I have no problem with how much money he's being paid. I think the the market value on the contract is completely right on. I think if he would not have signed with the Cardinals this offseason, he would have been able to get basically the same contract from another team. And I think if other teams were looking at him to tr- to acquire him, they would not blink at the money that he's being paid. So if there is a scenario where the Cardinals do end up trading him, I would be hopeful that they would not retain any salary, not a dollar of salary, because I, don't, I think Wilson Contreras is worth every penny that he is being paid. Let's go to Don, who's giving us a call. Hey, Don, you're on Sports Open Line. Hey, Matt. Uh, I'm going to have to disagree with you on the Contreras contract. I, personally,
4: I think that uh, the Cardinals let Contreras talk him into the deal And basically, why wouldn't you trade the guy? I mean, the guy is not a very good uh, catcher. Uh, The reason I'm going to make this point, and I think you've heard this point before, Dusty Baker was asked whether he wanted uh, Contreras, and he said he he was not interested in uh, Contreras' service as a catcher. And basically, Houston didn't want him. And basically, Houston was the only club last year that really had some interest in him. Other than that, you know, the rest of the major league teams in the league didn't want no part of Contreras. So here's my, my take on it. He's not a very good defensive catcher. If you can trade him, why not? Go for it. Because they, to me, Herrera should be the catcher of this club next year. I don't know why they sent him out today, by the way. And like I said, uh, and but this is almost a lock and Dewitt, the ownership here. They knew what they were getting into. They knew, you know, Chicago thought he was that good of a catcher. Well, why would they, why didn't they make an offer to him to keep him? But basically, Chicago decided they didn't want no part of him anymore. So that's why they let him walk as a free agent. And Matt, I want to hear your comments on this.
1: Yeah, Don, appreciate the uh, appreciate the phone call. I, I do think it's worth noting the comments that you made about the Astros. It came. In the middle of the season last year, came at the trade deadline. It didn't come in the middle of the uh, in the off season. So bringing in a catcher in the middle of the season, it's a little bit different because you're asking a catcher to learn all the pitchers, and, and it's different than bringing in a first baseman or bringing in an outfielder. So I, I do think that part of it is important to note. Uh, that again, that being said, Wilson Contreras is not known for his defensive ability. And he's not known for his uh, for his pitch calling ability. That doesn't mean he's a bad baseball player. What he gives you from an offensive standpoint is more often than not going to easily make up for the deficiencies that he has in the other area. And I don't think I don't think Wilson Contreras fooled the Cardinals. I don't, I don't think any of that is true. Uh, he he's the he's been an All Star. He's been a catcher of a World Series team. He's done all these things. And the only thing that I would think is that perhaps the Cardinals thought that they were going to be able to do a better job of kind of transforming him into a bit of a different type of player, that there was a confidence level with that. And let's give Contreras credit. Like no matter, no matter how good or bad he has been during this whole thing, he's worked hard. He has been a very hard worker through this. He didn't take part in the WBC he uh, he has spent a lot of time with pitchers. Has it completely worked? Has he become the guy that uh, people want him to become, the Cardinals want him to become? No. And, you know, go back. I, I talked about this today when I did my hit uh, on-, on the Dave Glover show. There was the report out there that he was calling pitches for pitchers that pitchers didn't throw. And I first heard that, and I kind of thought to myself, no, there's no way that's true. And then I heard Ryan Helsley do an interview on uh, foul territory and loved loved that program. And he was asked about it, and he was given really an opportunity to completely say that that wasn't true. And he kind of deflected the answer and then made a joke about, well, maybe these pitchers should be throwing these pitches. So again, there was no official confirmation. But when I heard Helsley give that answer on foul territory, all of a sudden I said to myself, oh okay, maybe there's some maybe there's some truth to this not being able not you know, completely knowing the repertoire of all the of all the pitchers that he's catching. I keep going back to the same thing. He is a really good player. he's been an all-star, he's a very good offensive player and he would have gotten that that version of that contract from another team. It was not a situation where only uh, the Cardinals were uh, were interested. In him, I don't. I don't think that's the case whatsoever. Larry's giving us a call. Hey, Larry, you're on a Graybar Sports Open Line.
5: Good evening. Hey. There's there's a lot on the plate here with the Cardinals. I've been following the Cardinals for a long time, and this is uh, this is really something we haven't dealt with in I don't know 15 years. But back in the seventies, they finished like 24, 25 games under 500. The Cardinals have to go 37 and 25. 12 games over just to play 500 baseball. You know, yesterday, yesterday implicated what kind, of, what kind of season the Cardinals are having. There's a dribbler back to the pitcher, and he fumbles it. And the next pitch is a two-run homer, and right off the bat we're down in the game. And it's been going on all year. And I heard John Mazalek say it about a week ago on KMOX on a Sunday morning show. He feels responsible because he he feels he didn't assemble the team properly. You know, for a month before the season started, the fans in this town, which I get a lot of credit in this town for being good fans, even though there's some stuff that I I know that I'm not going to share on the radio. But it's amazing that the fans knew we needed pitching. And they, you know, how many, let me ask you something. How many 41-year-old pitchers, Contribute to a winning squad, a, a world series, even a even a playoff team. I mean, I wasn't happy with the signing. I know there's allegiance to these players that have done a great job down through the years. I actually think I see, I see missing Pujols and Molina is helping the manager run the team. I think it's a poorly managed team. We don't have a set lineup. He plays us lefty-righty at the top of the lineup constantly with the leadoff man. I I don't like that. I want a leadoff man that learns how to be a leadoff man. Newt Barr should be the leadoff man. He's got speed. He can hit the ball all over the field. He should be our leadoff man. But we switched that around. I'd like your comment on that. And lastly, Brian and Kenny had Bob Costas on. Do Do you feel Bob Costas is a good baseball man?
1: Yeah, clearly.
5: So Bob Costas went over the people that should be in the Hall of Fame. This is Bob Costas' opinion. Richie Allen, Dwight Evans, Steve Garvey, Freddie Lynn, Don Mattingly, Dale Murphy, Parker, and guess what? Keith Hernandez. We had the conversation about two months ago, and he made the case of those eight that Keith Hernandez is the first one that should be put in, and it's been an error. By the base, by the commissioner, not the commissioner, the people that vote in, the writers, whatever, into the Hall of Fame.
1: All right, Larry, I, I appreciate the phone call. We're up against it. We got a guest coming up in our next segment, so I, I've got to let you go. Uh, you said a lot there. I'll say this on Wayne Wright. I've said this over and over and over. I get his age, and we know that Father Time is is undefeated. Okay. His numbers last year were really good up until the final month of the season. This is a guy who pitched to a 1.69 ERA in May, a 3.66 ERA in June, a 3.90 ERA in July, 2.5 uh, two and a half in August. It was once they got into September that the struggle started to happen. So there, there have been older pitchers who have contributed Bartolo Colon was able to contribute late in his career. Uh, Jamie Moyer was able to contribute late in his career. So simply saying that they should not have brought back Adam Wainwright because of his age, I don't look at the age so much as I do at what he did last year. And up until his final handful of starts, his final... One, two, three, four, five, six, up to like final six starts. He was having a really good year, so I put more credibility into what he did for basically the whole season last year and not the final five weeks or so. We'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk Scott Scott Rowland had a fantastic, fantastic Hall of Fame speech uh, yesterday in Cooperstown. You would not be wasting your time if you took 16 minutes to listen to it if you have not yet heard it. Uh, but uh, we're going to talk a little Scott Rowland. We'll do that coming up in just a moment as we roll on with the Graybar Sports Open Line on KMOX.
3: This is the Graybar Sports Open Line. Goldschmidt
2: swings and he hits a drive. He hits a slammer. On America's
5: Sports Voice, KMOX. St. Louis, two World Series. One winner, four division titles, two National League Championships. And most importantly, these two clowns in the front row. Nick and I started our family in no better place at no better time.
1: That was just part of Scott Rowland's fantastic Hall of Fame speech yesterday in Cooperstown, New York, as he was officially inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame, and rightfully so, again, I would tell you. If you got 16 minutes at some point in time and you have not heard the entire speech, go listen because there is not a wasted word. It was one of the better speeches that you are going to see. I love those speeches. I can just listen to Hall of Fame speeches over and over and over, and uh, Roland was really, really good. So this is fun. We're going to welcome on to the program via the Quiver River Electric Guest Line, a guy that I've done a little bit of uh, work with. He is a longtime Indiana sportscaster and uh, really watched the early part of Scott Roland's career His name is Walt Ferber. You can follow him on Twitter or the app formerly known as Twitter, at Walt, F-E-R-B-E-R. Walt, thanks for taking some time with us. How are you?
3: Man, always good when I'm talking to you. Uh, I miss working uh, with you, and I'm looking forward to a few games with you uh, this year.
1: Yeah, looking forward to that as well. From a... Just from a kind of a pride of Indiana standpoint, what does it mean to the people in that state and in that part of our region uh, to see Scott Rowland inducted in the Hall of Fame?
3: Well, I can say from uh, the people in Jasper, uh, Scott's family. I mean, personally, I, I've known Scott since he was a little boy and have very good friends with his parents. His father, Ed, was a longtime educator at, uh, at Jasper and uh, he grew up uh and uh, was taught correctly by his parents uh what you see with Scott is literally what you get he's respectful uh he worked extremely hard and you know I tell you what going back to his high school days he could have just as easily gone to the NBA uh rather than major league baseball or uh, he could have possibly been on the tennis tour because he he played he was one of the better high school tennis players in the state of Indiana, and I still say to this day, Scott's a big University of Kentucky fan, and he was offered by a, a number of schools, and I think if he would have been offered by the University of Kentucky, uh, he he might be heading into the to the basketball Hall of Fame now versus the baseball
1: he had the offer at Georgia. That's where he was going to go had he not gone the pro baseball route. In in St. Louis, that hits one way, but if you kind of transport yourself to the state of Indiana, where basketball is king, does it make that decision that much tougher to kind of end your basketball career and go down the baseball route?
3: Well, you, you know, Indiana is a basketball a haven here, and I was... Uh, Personally, I was yelled at from a member of the Indiana State staff back then when uh, they found out that he was going to Georgia. Indiana State in Terre Haute was one of the places that had offered him outside of outside of the University of Georgia. So, I mean, it was a, it was a hot topic back then, and people honestly weren't sure which sport he was going to go to. But, uh, you know, but I honestly think baseball was his number one love. And one of his favorite people was uh, Terry Gobert, the Jasper High School baseball coach. Uh, Coach Gobert who's won 10 baseball championships for Jasper. The answer to a really good trivia question of the 10 state championships that Jasper had, uh, how many was Scott in? The answer was zero. Uh, They started winning two years after he graduated. And uh, but he was certainly part of the building block that uh, that put things into place for Jasper to be successful later. But uh, but no, there were some people in the state of Indiana and Southern Indiana that would have really preferred to see him play basketball.
1: Longtime Indiana broadcaster Walt Ferber continuing to join us here on a Graybar Sports Open Line. I'll put you on the spot a little bit. Was there is there a moment or is there a story as you were watching him in his younger years where you said to yourself, "Okay, th- this guy's going to be special." What, no matter what the sport that it was going to be, you know, you talk about him with basketball and with tennis and everything. Is there something that really stands out to you? A story about Roland?
3: Well, uh, you know, there's a lot of stories, and I saw him do stuff that uh, nobody else has ever done. But one game that really sticks out, uh, in his senior year, they were playing at Jeffersonville. uh, And uh, he hit a ball, and I'm friends with the, the Jeffersonville coach, and it was the hardest hit baseball that I have ever seen at any level. The old Jeffersonville Park was where the old football field was, and he knocked it over the left field wall, over the parking lot, and into a little league field on the, on the other side, and there was some rolling to go along with it, but they estimated that the baseball from where it was hit to where it stopped rolling was, was a skosh over 700 feet away. The hardest hit ball I've ever seen, and the coach Jeffersonville, his name's Al Raby, said to me after the ball game, I'm just glad that wasn't a line drive because he would have killed somebody he uh i mean he hit some some titanic shots back then but he was also and you go you go back to it his senior year he was also uh the the number one or number two pitcher on the Jasper baseball team he was a, an excellent pitcher but even back then he did things at third base that uh, that i have not seen since
1: he mentioned Jasper in the uh speech yesterday and it got uh as big of an applause as uh, as anything in there and it really you talked about uh his, his entire group of little league kids making the way to, to Cooperstown it, it really feels like his community the state of Indiana uh continues to support him and be proud of him for everything that he's done.
3: Well, it you know it's not an act. That is exactly the way Scott is and he he has come home and he loves it. He lives. Uh, he lives just outside of Bloomington right now, and uh, it was important to him. And knowing Scott as I as I do, uh, he was probably more proud of taking his son and his little league baseball team through the Hall of Fame today as as he was just about of the Hall of Fame speech himself. But you know, of the people that I know that that left, I'm thinking there was probably not that many people in Jasper left because everybody was in Cooperstown i mean scores of people from Jasper made the trip to to Cooperstown and he is uh, a, you know a favorite son and has been since his playing days he has always had time for for uh, Jasper people and people that he knew uh, growing up, and uh, he is one of the he is honestly one of those guys that make you feel good about uh, looking up to, to, to athletes. I mean, there's been a lot of bad taste in people's mouth from Sun, but what uh, what people see in Scott and what they saw from him when he was in St. Louis is the real deal. He is. Honestly, just about as good as it gets, and I would love the guy to pieces if he wasn't uh, the best baseball player that, that I've ever had the, the the pleasure to see play.
1: Where he grew up, you were probably either a Cardinals fan or a Reds fan. It was actually a little bit geographically closer to to Cincinnati, from what I understand. There might have been a few more Cardinals fans there than Reds fans. But how perfect was it that he did get to play for both the Cardinals and the Reds in his career?
3: well you know it it is good it was bookended that way, and uh was certainly sorry to see him leave St Louis, but was glad that uh, that he ended up uh that he ended up basically ending his career in Cincinnati a little aside on that to show how popular it was uh i ended i was program director for and was there for over forty two years at wits and w q k z in Dubois County, and the day after we found out Scott became a Cardinal, we added Cardinals baseball, and it was sold out in a matter of about a week and a half. So, people that were already huge Cardinal fans in this neck of the woods, as soon as as soon as Scott came, uh, that really put them over the top. And his first year there, I was also president of the the Jasper Chamber of Commerce. And we took two busloads of people with uh, close to probably, I think, about 200 people from Jasper on the Scott Roland bobblehead day Mm. at at Bush Stadium. So, you know, it was huge to, to a place that was already predisposed to root for the Cardinals to have him... Uh, come and be such an important uh, important part of the squad.
1: Hey, Walt! Thank you so much for taking this time and sharing some memories, and just uh, we get to all celebrate Scott Rowland together. But uh, always love being able to chat with you for a few moments, and uh, really appreciate uh, your perspective on uh, on Rowland's uh, now Roland as a Hall of Famer.
3: M- Matt, it is always a pleasure.
1: Walt Ferber joining us here on a Graybar Sports Open Line on KMOX, and we appreciate him taking some time with us on the Quiver River Electric Guest Line. One more hour to go, just about. We're about an hour out from our uh, coverage of Cardinals baseball tonight, Cardinals and Diamondbacks. We'll take one more break, wrap up hour number one of uh, the program. It's Graybar Sports Open Line. My name is Matt Pawley on KMOX. (laughs) wrap up hour number one of the program. It's a Graybar Sports Open Line. We'll talk more Cardinals baseball coming up next hour leading right into the Cardinals and the Diamondbacks. So Vikings wide receiver Jordan Addison says that the reason he was driving 140 miles per hour last week because his dog was having an emergency at home. That's according to the uh, citation that was given by the Ramsey County District Court ESPN got that uh, information. According to the citation, a patrol officer observed him driving at just after 3 a.m. at a high rate of speed. He was going 140 in a 55. That's a lot faster than you're supposed to be going. He was driving a Lamborghini with dealer license plates. He has since apologized, saying he made a mistake and used poor judgment. He promised not to repeat the behavior. He did not, however, say anything about his dog's emergency. No update on the dog if there is a dog. Sports producer extraordinaire Matt Pajewski. I know you probably don't know a whole lot about this story beyond what I just said, but based off the information I have given you, Do you believe that Vikings receiver Jordan Addison's dog was having an emergency at home resulting in the 140-mile-per-hour speed that he was going on the highway, or do you think he just made up the dog emergency in the moment?
2: If the dog was having an emergency at home, how 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 did he become aware of the situation? Was somebody at the house saying, hey, something's happening, and if that's the case, then that person should take the dog to the vet not have him rush home.
1: Maybe he has a camera, a pet camera. Mm. That's got
2: to be a thing, right? Maybe the dog texted him and said, hey, I'm freaking out over here. <laughs> There's
1: fireworks going off. I don't have my meds. I mean, I feel like, Jordan, We we live in a society of dog lovers, and you can get compassion very quickly when there is a dog involved. So I feel like Jordan Addison <laughs> owes all of us. A little bit of an explanation on how the dog is doing. If he had said my cat was having an emergency, everybody eh. would be like, ah, eh.
3: get out of here. Yeah. No, he would have been
1: arrested. <laughs> <laughs> he he wouldn't have just been given a citation and allowed to go on. The fact that he mentioned the dog got him the rest of the way, which <laughs> is the cat. And, uh, yeah, he's going to uh, he's going to jail that night. All right, that's it for hour number one of the program. Stick with us as we continue to uh, look forward to uh, the Cardinals and the Diamondbacks. Adam Wainwright, what should we expect? How did this whole thing go down? Why is he pitching tonight? We're going to get into all of that coming up in just a moment or so here in a Graybar Sports Open line right here on KMOX.
2: How powerful is Cox Internet?